But what we're doing today is we're finishing up Mark. Now, some of you will say, but we're not to Mark 16. We're only in Mark 13. And that's true, but we've covered 14, 15, 16 through different other seasons. So it's time to wrap up our journey through Mark. We started in August uh, of 2016, so it's taken us two years to read this, this, this gospel together. You know, we, we dip in and dip out, you know. But uh, I, I just want to tell you that uh, for someone that teaches the Bible, it is so helpful for our teaching team to commit uh, to a book of the Bible and just stay on track with that even when it takes us two years. And, you, you know, there are times you may forget, oh, where are we? But we try to remind you this is kind of the home base, and then we'll kind of jump out of it at different seasons. But, but we've, we've done it. And we're going to kind of look at just kind of an overview and then the finale in a sense. But Jesus, if you want to just really, I, let's just keep it simple. Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. So Mark begins with Jesus coming and it ends with Jesus returning. So the arrival of Jesus in Mark 1, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message begins here. That's a pretty good beginning. And then in Mark 13, and then they'll see the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, Enter in grand style, his arrival filling the sky. No one will miss it. So first coming, second coming, arrival, return. Now, in between there, uh, it's, wow. I mean, you're talking about a small group of people who begin to experience the king of the universe and his kingdom. And kind of the home base verse was when Jesus stood up in the synagogue, which is actually in Luke's gospel, but I thought I could borrow some. And Jesus says, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. The way I would understand that in the big picture is that God, through the centuries, has looked at humanity struggling. And he's looked at humanity uh, pitted against humanity. And he's, he's looked at the evil and he's looked at the evil one and the influence of the evil one. And he's looked at the suffering of people. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that God has ever taken joy in that. I, I believe that we suffer as human beings because we as human beings cause that suffering. I think we in our choices, are the ones that cause suffering. I think that's part of coming to faith in Jesus. I realize, oh, I'm, I have not been as nice a person as I thought I was. And I have this incredible ability to really cause people pain. That's within me. But there is this God who finally said, you know, enough, enough. So 
So I, I see that as a, a, the heart of a God who's grieving, a God who says, I've, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to act. I'm going to change the course of human history. Humans are not going to solve this problem by themselves. I'm sending my beloved son, and he's going to be the solution. And so Jesus came. And for three full years, you know, remember John said, if we would have tried to keep record of everything that Jesus said and did, it would fill the libraries of the world. So to me that says, that was three really full years. So they're walking along with Jesus as he announced the kingdom is close, meaning it's so close you can enter the kingdom, which means the kingdom is arriving. It's arriving now. Step into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom. Believe in me. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. And then he begins to demonstrate when God is setting things right. What is your favorite story of God through Jesus setting something right on earth in the ministry of Jesus? What's just What's a story that just immediately comes to mind? God did something that was so great. What sticks with you? Yeah, healing of the woman that had an issue of blood. How many years? 12 years she was bleeding. She emptied her savings account going to doctors trying to find a solution. And in a moment of desperation, she had heard about Jesus. She reached out his, her hand, touched the hem of his garment, and in that moment... God set things right in her life. She was healed, a demonstration of the kingdom of God. This is what happens when God starts ruling on the earth again. People are healed. What's another one? The woman at the well. Yeah, what a great, you know. Again, what a reminder that the Son of God came to hang out with people that didn't have their act together. The woman at the well was a woman with a very, very checkered past. And she came to the well at a time when the other women were not there because she was excluded. She was talked about. She was immoral. And Jesus risked his reputation. I don't know. You got you to see, you know, when the disciples came back and Jesus is talking to this woman, I mean, they are stunned like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're crossing a line, but God crosses lines so that people are restored to their humanity. She becomes the beginning of the church and her little community. Wow. What's another one? Lazarus. Yeah. <laughs> what a story. What an incredible story. Hey, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Well, you're right. But I'm also going to invite the kingdom of God to show up, which is a kingdom about resurrection. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine three full years of that? Walk along. Talk about heads spinning around. Wow, we've never seen anything like this. And then can you imagine... All of that, that, that amazement, but then they're also experiencing rejection. And I, 
And I, I don't think that the leaders of Israel in rejecting Jesus the king and, and insisting, you know, stop, stop demonstrating that king. This is a threat to us. I mean, Jesus is a Jew. So there is no slamming of the Jew within the gospel. There's, there's nothing anti-Semitic about the gospel of Jesus. It's really the message to anybody that's religious. If you get so entrenched in your religion that you won't allow God to talk to you about your religion, then something's wrong. Okay? It's, it's a statement about the re, just religious baggage. And Jesus, I mean, Jesus works pretty hard with the religious to say, Hey, God has given this revelation to you. God has disclosed this revelation. You've received it, but then you've turned it into something that God never intended it to be. Does that sound like anything that we could possibly do? We do the same thing. So again, don't, don't please never hear me ever. I'm not critical of Israel or their history. I just recognize there's this dynamic of religion that can really trip people up. And then I think it's also highlighted because Israel, that, that's the people on the planet that have the longest history of being the people of God. And if those people with that longest history cannot recognize Messiah when he comes, then that includes all of us, right? Yeah? You know, at times they attributed the works of Jesus to the works of the devil. Can you imagine that he does that by the power of Beelzebub? So that's Isaiah. You're calling good evil and evil good. You guys, you're, you're under a delusion. So that was, that was, can you imagine experiencing that kind of rejection? <laughs> I got to laugh sometimes about some, some of the complaints that we in the Western world about, we're just being rejected. What? Let's let, come on. Let's, let's, let's compare it a little bit. Come on. I mean, come on. Gee whiz. And then when you get to them experiencing just this disorienting loss, I mean, you have three years of Jesus announcing and demonstrating the, the kingdom. You've got pushback from the religious. And then all of a sudden there's a betrayal. It's awful to be betrayed, especially by a friend. And then that, that betrayal led to an arrest. And that arrest led to just false accusations. Again, the religious paying people to lie about Jesus. So if you're religious and you're, you're getting people to lie in a, in a trial, again, that's saying there's something wrong with your religion. And then there's torture and there's torment. You know, on the journey of understanding, one of the, the places that just rocked my world is going to the, the high priest's home. And there's the possibility that the lower level of the high priest's home, where they brought Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus spent the night, there's a dungeon. So if the high priest has a dungeon in his basement where he torments people, something's not quite right. Right? I mean... <laughs> Right? 
And we, again, we do this to ourselves. We just can get off. And then Jesus, tortured and tormented by both temple guards, religious guards, and then Roman soldiers. And then he's, he dies a scandalous death. Again, we, we don't depict the death of Jesus very well. The reality is he was naked, stripped naked, hung on a cross. Brutal way to die. Brutal. No compassion. Who came up with crucifixion? People. God didn't send down instructions for crucifixion. People. Humanity. This is a way we can make criminals suffer. What? We need help here. (laughs) And here's the one saving us. And then can you imagine preparing his body? They pulled out a body. There's this body. This is a dead body. This one announcing the kingdom where there is hope and there's demonstration. So just this high, this low. Then all of a sudden, this experience of the restoration of hope. He's not here. He's been risen from the dead. After his death, Jesus presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. The main message Jesus was trying to communicate to humanity was that the kingdom of God is the mechanism that will save humanity. And he's the Messiah. He's the king of that kingdom. So we believe in that king and we enter his kingdom. Then can you imagine experiencing ascension? As these disciples watched, Jesus was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. No, I mean, where are you gonna, who's going to be the first one to say, Shazam? <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, they're stunned. And suddenly, two men appeared. Oh, that, that helps. <laughs> two angels appear in white robes, and they say, you Galileans. Might as well have said, you Texans. Could have been anybody on the planet. Why do you just stand there looking up in an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. Jesus will come. Jesus is coming. Jesus came. Jesus announced, demonstrated, empowered people to continue to announce and demonstrate, and he's going to come back. He's going to bring a fullness of his kingdom when he returns 
So that the question really is, as we wait for Jesus to return, what can we expect? That's why I brought in the Great Tribulation. Now, what, what is this season, what does it look like between ascension, Jesus returning to heaven, followed by Pentecost, the birth of the church, the empowerment, of the people of God with the Holy Spirit to continue the task, of the, we're continuing the task of Jesus. They didn't start doing something different; just continue what Jesus did. And they're supposed to keep doing that until Jesus returns. But what's that season going to be like? So I think Jesus is talking to us about that in Mark 13. So see if you can see the words tribulation within this. This is a continuation of where we were last week. Be ready. Be ready to run for it when you see the monster of desecration set up where it should never be. You can read. Make sure you understand what I'm talking about. If you're living in Judea at the time, run for the hills. If you're working in the yard, don't go back in the house to get anything. If you're out in the field, don't go back to get your coat. Pregnant. Oh, Jenna, sorry. And nursing mothers will have it especially hard. Hope and pray that this won't happen in the middle of winter. These are going to be hard days. Tribulation. Nothing like it from the time God made the world right up to the present. Great. Tribulation. And there'll be nothing like it again. If he let these days of trouble run their course, nobody would make it. But because of God's chosen people, those he personally chose, he's already intervened. If anyone tries to flag you down, call out, here's the Messiah, appoints, there he is, don't fall for it. Fake Messiahs, lying preachers are going to pop up everywhere. Their impressive credentials and dazzling performances will put pull the wool over the eyes of even those who ought to know better. So watch out. I've given you fair warning. As you look at those verses, the thing that's, that really jumps out to me maybe more than anything is Jesus is being very specific about a place. So. Because discovery is fun, what what specifies the place of this thing happening? Temple. temple. He's been talking about the temple. There's only one place where that is. It's in Jerusalem, and he uses another very specific place. Hills of Judea. <laughs> so, he, they, I think you've got to, you've got you to stay there. So, he talks about a monster of desecration. Other translations will bring it up. But what I'd like to point out is that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and a Roman idol was erected right there. And, and I would suggest to you that that is the fulfillment of that. It's not a strain. 
it's probably the most normal way to understand it. And he's saying at the time that happens, those of you living in Judea, you better run for the hills. You you know, if you forgot your coat, don't go get it. If you're out in the fields, don't go back. You just you just need to get out of here. Mom, sorry, it's going to be tough on you. It's, it's hard for a pregnant woman to run to the hills. And pray it's not in winter. It gets really cold in Jerusalem. Snows, sleets. And he says, nothing like it from the time God made the world. And there'll be nothing like it ever before. My friends, what I'd like to suggest to you is that Jesus is describing days of tribulation that are the suffering of the diaspora. We make this big deal about the Old Testament diasporas, and I'm not sure we've really, really counted what it cost the Jew at the time that Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews again went into exile, especially in light of what just happened God announcing the arrival of his kingdom through the king, Jesus. See, we don't have anything like that in history. And so if if you were a, a Jewish follower of Jesus between 33 and 70, cross to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple... That's the period of time that Jesus is talking about. Now, he's going to extend it, but that's the period of time. And that's, there's, that is why it says this is unique time. We said no in a sense. We said no. And then false messiahs come and false prophets come and false signs and omens leading many astray. And Jesus, I just, you just need to be alert that this, this event of my coming... And, and what seemed to be the end of it, but really the beginning of it, is just a seedbed for people to be led astray. So I want you to keep your focus. Now, it really led me to think about tribulation as it is in the Bible. The, and I, I tell you the reason. A lot of times when you get into this topic, people want to push this great tribulation to the future. Which is great for us. Hey, whoo. We don't have to worry about that. We're not going to be around. Whoa, I'm not so sure. Just go with me. Tribulation acquires its theological significance from the fact that it predominantly denotes the oppression and affliction of the people of Israel or of the righteous who represent Israel. Israel does, in fact, constantly experience tribulation in its history and is aware that this tribulation is significant in the history of salvation. Just think about oppression in Egypt. Think about the affliction of the exile. Think about the occasions that the enemies of Israel came against them, tribulation. These real threats to the historical existence of the chosen people serve to fashion an obedient Notice this, in the Old Testament, great tribulation is only to be expected by the righteous. Then there is this bridge statement 
The constant tribulation of Israel in the Old Testament has become the necessary tribulation of the church in the New Testament. We are the continuation of the people of God. We're not, in, we're not separated from the people of God in the Old Testament. It continues. So then you jump into tribulation in the New Testament. Tribulation is inseparable from Christian life in this world. It's the suffering of Christ. His tribulation. It's afflicted in his members. And there is this eschatological suffering. Eschatological is last things. Which is, again, if you just think about the New Testament has divided this present age from the age to come. And so when the age to come begins to break into this present age, that's eschatology. Eschatology is not just about the future. It's about the future showing up in the present. And that's the mystery of Jesus. So this state, just plain statement, the great tribulation has already begun. It begun with Jesus. Suffering began with the suffering of the Messiah, so that all the suffering of the age is simply a repetition of that which has already taken place in him. The suffering of Christ is experienced by the new people scattered in the world, namely us, the church. And then this, this is one. That's really where I want you to just put your focus on this last quote. Sufferings are the test whether a Christian will champion the gospel at the risk of his or her life or not. Which means finally whether he or she will understand his or her own life in terms of opportunities or in terms of the divine promise and the possibilities opened up by it. You just want to boil that down to a question. Do you want to follow Jesus? Because if you want to follow Jesus, in all likelihood, you will walk into tribulations. You see, if tribulation is just later, why are we supposed to stay alert? Tribulation is later, why are we supposed to endure? As we wait for Jesus to return, he tells us, stay awake. Keep watching. Now, what I want to add to that is I think we should be waiting impatiently. And the reason I say that is because, how do I say this? See, when Jesus is walking the disciples through this, He's talking about the tribulation that they're going to face between the cross and and the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And interjected in that is, but the gospel of the kingdom must be announced to all the nations before I return. Now, potentially, could those disciples have gotten the word around the globe in that short period of time? Um, Maybe not. But I think Jesus was underscoring and saying, this word of salvation, this word of Messiah, this word of kingdom needs to get around to everybody on this planet as quick as possible. That is the short, that's the shortest route to suffering ending. And until it does, there's going to be suffering and you're going to receive that. 
And if you'll think about the, the, like the spiritual battle, I mean, I know that the evil one was defeated at the cross, but he is ticked off. And he is so ticked off that he's resisting the coming of the king. If he can delay the coming of the king in the kingdom, then he can keep just ravaging the planet. And that's what he does. That's what he's doing. And it's you and me that's okay. Here we go. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to find the divine promise on my life opens up all these possibilities for me in following Jesus. And I'm going, to, I'm going to commit myself to this global mission that Jesus introduced. That's why the church should exist. But as we do that, we will suffer tribulation. So keep watching. But, but I, I just, I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how I can do this or this. I I just, what I hope is the Holy Spirit can imprint upon us that what our world needs more than anything else is the King and His kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom of God. There's nothing else that our world needs. And until the King returns and His kingdom returns in its fullness, there will be suffering on this planet. Now, Susan's going to Rwanda. Do you know the story of Rwanda? You want to go to hell? See, I think humanity creates hell in some ways because the hellish one is behind it. You know, people beginning to talk about other people as if they weren't human. People beginning to talk about other people as if they are less than human. People talking about other people as if they're demonic. I've, I've told this story, but it's just it will never leave me. We were on the streets in Kigali with Olivier. Olivier was a street kid because his family was Hutu and Tutsi. And his father, who was Tutsi, said, I can't, keep, I can't have you stay in the home. It's too dangerous for me. His mom was Hutu. So you're going you're gonna to need to leave the house. You have, you have to go out on the street. So Olivier's surviving on the street as genocide is happening around him, trying to find a safe place to hide from, from crowds of people that have machetes. And so he's showing us his neighborhood, and, he, and he, we came to a street corner. He said, this is, where I th- this is where I saw my first woman killed. I said, and I just blurted it out. Because he said soldiers surrounded her. And I said, so they shot her? I said, no, they didn't shoot her. They stepped on her until she expired because she was a cockroach. She wasn't a human. She was a cockroach. Now, what's going to save us? What's going to save us from that kind of inhumane insanity? It's, It's only Jesus. In his kingdom. There's only one government that can correct the stuff that's going on in our world. There's only one. The government will rest on his shoulders, the shoulders of Jesus. And the sooner he returns with that kingdom, the better for everybody. Until 
he returns, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines. There'll be earthquakes. There will be hatred. There will be betrayal. There'll be false prophets. There'll be false messiahs. All of that is in this season. We're not waiting for something to happen. It's happening. And all I, all I hope is that we can be gripped by the Holy Spirit to short-circuit it. That we want our planet and the people on it saved from ourselves because of Jesus and His kingdom. So we wait and we endure whatever tribulation comes our way because it's worth getting this message out. It's worth asking others to follow Jesus with us. And so we stay at our post, announcing and demonstrating the arrival of our king in his kingdom. That's our job. That's what we've been invited to do. That's our promise. So really, uh, in just like trying to set our roots deep, I'm really back to what I said last week. We're transformed into the likeness of Jesus when we endure through trials and tribulations to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to our neighbors and to the nations. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come to us so that we would be empowered. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to our neighbors and the nations. Show us the unreached people within our reach. Empower us to discern the false claims that are made about you and your activity in our generation. Expose the false prophets and their lies. Expose false signs and omens. Empower us to endure all tribulations and to wait impatiently for your return. Would someone, Mallory, would you go ask Susan uh, to come join us? See, in some ways, sending anybody out to the nations takes on a whole different flavor when you put this as the context. Rwanda is recovering. People are being reconciled. But they've reconciled through forgiveness, which is a kingdom value. They, they decided not to recover through retributive justice, which is you kill somebody, kill you. Because if a million people have already been killed, now we've got to kill a million other people. And they decide we're, we're not going to do that. That's not going to, that's not going to work. So we've got, to, we've got to find a way that we forgive. That's the path they've gone down. That's a kingdom value. Incredible. So they're recovering through forgiveness. So I want us to send Susan out with our prayers. Does that sound good? So Susan, if you'll stand over on the Rwandan rug. Uh, we watched a Rwandan wedding. It, this day, the, the day of iPhone, like one of our friends got married in Rwanda yesterday. So we got to watch the whole thing. And so then when they got down to praying for the new couple, they knelt on this, this type of rug and they prayed. So it just inspired us that we're going to do that. Okay. So I just want to invite whoever would like to 
lay hands on Susan, send her out, just move that way, and we'll have a, a season of prayer. And then I'll say a final word before we go, okay? It's like the whole crowd's over there. <laughs>